0: We're learning how to share our faith with others. We talked about origin. How do I talk to people about creation, evolution? Uh, We talked about meaning, the meaning of life. Why are we here? Now we're moving on to the third big word, which is morality. If I get to share my faith with someone and morality comes up, how do I talk to someone about right and wrong? Uh, Where do right and wrong even come from? I'll never forget when I was in college, one of the hardest tests I ever took it was an essay test and in my opinion professors who give essay tests should just be fired am I right I didn't get any amens from our college students it's going be a nice multiple choice test so I at least have a shot at getting the right answer uh, but it was a social sciences class and this professor had us read all these books about political theory and philosophy and morality and then the final exam had two questions question number one what is good that's it question number two what is evil you've got an hour and a half go so I'm staring at this paper like what is good that came to me pretty quickly Portillo's Italian beef (laughs) check what is evil took me a little longer for that one Green Bay Packers hey no I'm just kidding I didn't write that I had to write this whole essay about what is good and then this whole essay about what is evil Everyone needs to answer those questions. As you talk to people who have a different view than you, as you have a chance to share your faith, origin is one major question they have to answer. Where did it all come from? Meaning, why are we here? But morality is a big one. And I would guess most of the conversations you have with other people about faith will involve a moral issue that you disagree on. That's why you have to be prepared to have a moral conversation about some issue with someone who disagrees with you, okay? And uh, you have to move past the whole, when a moral issue comes up and I'm talking to someone who I disagree with, I just get really loud and insulting. You know, I type with all caps on Facebook. Uh, We've got to move past that, that sense of outrage and disagreement, and we actually have to learn how to have a meaningful, gracious conversation with people we disagree with morality is really important to humans morality comes up in politics right now we're having all these debates and we're trying to figure out if we can trust any of these candidates right the answer is no but we're trying to figure out if any of them can become president uh, morality is importance in love romance you know the one you're dating the one you're married to is this love special is it going to last not if the other person's cheating morality matters in love Morality is important in education, right? As the teacher is grading the assignments, in the back of the teacher's mind is always, did this student cheat? Did they find this at like, you know, uh, some internet site? Morality is important in science because the scientists can do studies and we trust that they have to report their findings accurately. If they, if they don't report their findings accurately, then their whole reputation of them and their company can be called into disrepute. Morality is important in leisure, as everyone who watches football later this afternoon will attest to, because as you watch that replay, you want to see did his pinky toe touch that line? If the refs got it wrong, you're going to throw things at the TV, because morality matters, even in sports. Morality is important. We all know that, and we try and get a sense of right and wrong virtually in every area of our lives. Another way you can phrase this question of morality is this what's wrong with humanity, and how do we fix it? When you talk to people who have a different belief system than your own, they will have a different answer to these questions. What's wrong with humanity? They'll answer that differently than you. And how do we fix it? They'll have a different solution than you. When you know how to have a conversation about morality, you'll do better at sharing your faith. Okay, well, how do we talk about this? Let's pray and then we'll get into God's Word and we'll learn how to share our faith about morality. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us as Christians, help us to know what makes our view of morality unique. Help us to know what sets our view apart. Give us a moral voice and give us a voice that can be consistent regardless of the moral issue that comes up. Help our voice, Lord, to be as light and help those who have a different view to hear the truth about our view. And we just pray, Lord, that as we grow more courageous and more equipped to share our faith with others, that we would be able to have conversations about morality that are effective and that win people to Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in many verses today, so you don't have to try and chase me around the Bible. We'll put them on the screen. I hope you have your bulletin open. I hope you have a pen so that you can take notes. What makes our view of morality unique? If you had a chance to tell someone what you believe about morality, what could you say? Well, jot this down. Number one, morality comes from God. This might seem like a no-brainer to you as a Christian, but that's where we begin. Morality comes from God. We're not the only ones who believe this. The Muslims would say their morality comes from God. Uh, So so would the the Jews. They would say that, hey, our morality comes from God too. Um, So this, however, does set us into a smaller group. There are many people who you know who would think that morality doesn't or shouldn't come from God. The atheists, the agnostics, the naturalists would say morality doesn't come from God or if God's there, we just can't even know what he thinks. So that already sets you apart from many people. It's really huge that you understand the first principles of what we believe. Morality does not come from government. Morality will Uh, Be written into law, they will make moral judgments, but ultimately we don't believe morality comes from government, which means the government can say something is illegal and yet we think it's right. The government can say something is legal, like prostitution, and yet we can still say it's wrong. The government does not give us our morality, the culture does not give us our morality. All right. So famous Hollywood stars, what, what do they think on the matter? Or how are people dealing with this issue in you know in songs? What are they singing about? Or what do TV shows say? You know, culture will make many moral pronouncements, but culture does not give us our morals. Popular opinion does not give us our morality. Let's show of hands. How many of you think that you know this is the way that we should do it? All right. And if you get enough votes, it suddenly makes it right. We don't think popular vote public opinion gives us our morality. We also, and this is a really big deal, we also don't think that morality comes from within. I don't decide right and wrong. It's not my opinion. Christians believe that morality comes from God. John MacArthur, a great pastor, um, you know, and an author was taking a Q&A in one session and somehow an idea of a topic of right and wrong came up and somebody uh, raised their hand up and said, well, you know, Mr. MacArthur, I think, and John MacArthur said, stop right there. And the guy's like, ah. And MacArthur said, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter if you had ever even been born. God's word says this, that's what we believe. Go on. He put that person's opinion in their rightful place. We don't think morality comes down to our personal opinion. Now, when you understand that morality comes from God, then you can believe that this entire universe has some moral dimension. John Lennox, a speaker from RZIM, said it this way, This is a moral universe. That's a spectacular thing to be able to say. Not every worldview can claim that. They, don't, they have to account for where morals came from. Were they socially evolved? Was it some sort of a awakening that humans had? And how do we apply this morality to everyone? We would say it comes from God. Why? Jot this down. Because God alone is good. God alone is good. There was an incident in the Old Testament where Moses said, Show me your glory. He didn't realize at the time that what he was asking for <laughs> was death. Death. Because if God were to indeed show Moses his glory, Moses would die. You can't see God in all of his glory and survive that encounter. God is just too glorious for a sinful man to behold. So God said, All right, I'll tell you what, I won't do what you just asked, because then you'd have a funeral. Uh, but I will put you in this cave behind this rock, I'll put my hand over you and I'll pass by, and then you get to come out and like see my my afterburn. <laughs> like like the thing that follows my glory. And uh, so this, this actually happened. Moses went out and he saw this amazing light display of God's glorious presence going by and fire and beauty and light. But it wasn't just something to see. He heard something because as God showed his glory, he didn't just show him something to see. He told him something that was true. God's nature is glorious also. Check it out. Here's the account found in Exodus 34, 6 to 8. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What is true about God? It says he's merciful. says he's gracious, patient, abounding in love. He's good. How does that affect us? Well, he keeps steadfast love for thousands, which means for generations. He doesn't change. And then it says forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, which means he'll forgive us but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That means he's a just God and he will punish sin. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. God is good. When he showed Moses his glory, he told Moses about himself. The truth of God is that he's good. Therefore, God in his nature is a moral being. He's a perfect moral being. Perfect in mercy and grace and patience and love. Listen, God has never sinned. God has never done anything wrong. From everlasting to everlasting, God is a perfect moral being. It's impossible for him to sin. He has never sinned. He can never sin. God is a moral being who is only always entirely good. When you understand that there's only one being like that, you get your morality from that well. You don't look to your government, you don't look to your own heart, you surely don't look to the show of hands and your friends. You look to the only one who is perfectly, eternally only good, and that's God. Why do we say certain things are right and wrong? Is it because Barney the Dancing Dinosaur told me that lying is wrong? I heard on a program once that lying is wrong. Is it because Mr. Rogers sang a little soothing song and then his little train came out and he told me that stealing is bad? Now I know. Where does your morality come from? That's a great question to ask someone who doesn't share your faith. Where does your morality come from? Inevitably, when you start tracing it back, it will come to a compilation of how they were raised, What religion they were a part of, you know, some sort of like, you know, folklore from grandma's thoughts on the matter were this, some sort of like words of wisdom, um, and then people who they respect. But does it come from God? And we would say if it doesn't come from God, it doesn't come from anything good. Because only God is good. Jot this down, morality comes from God because he alone is good and because God's nature, therefore, is our standard of right and wrong. How do I know if something's right or wrong? What what filter can I run it through? What lens can I view it through? Moral issues are complicated, okay? Moral issues get complicated very quickly. People often do wrong things, but they think they're doing it for right motives. Or they think that they've been hurt deeply enough that this is a righteous thing. So how do I decide if it's right or wrong? Well, God's nature is our standard of right and wrong. It's who he is. Psalm 11, verses 4 to 7 says this. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Get this. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Did you catch that? Why is righteousness right? Because the Lord is righteous. Anything that's true and right and good is so because it finds some sort of corresponding trait in God's very being. And the reason why something is right and true is because when we align our choices with God's nature, then that leads to his provision and his protection. When God says something is good, it's his way of providing for us. When God says marriage is good, it's because that's his way of providing companionship and intimacy to us. Okay? When he says divorce is wrong, it's his way of protecting us from heartbreak. And when we step away from God's plan, we're stepping away from his good provision and his good protection. Those things line up to his nature though. Uh, because the Lord is just, justice is right and injustice is wrong. Because God is love, hatred is wrong. Because God is true, lying is wrong. Because God is forgiving, bitterness is wrong. Things are good and right and true because they correspond to God's nature. It's because of who He is. We get our truth from God's morality, from His person, from His being. Ask someone where they get their morality from. And then be very careful to tell them, you know what, I believe this is true because of who God is. It's not my opinion. It's not my church's opinion. It's the nature of God himself. Morality comes from God because God alone is good because God's nature is our standard of right and wrong. And jot this down. Therefore, God gave us a book filled with his will. Well, how can I know on a day-to-day basis if what I'm doing is right or wrong? Well, this book speaks to uh, every moral choice you're ever going to make in your life either directly or indirectly. The Word of God might say, black and white, do not do that. Or it might say, you must, command, you must do that. But if you're dealing with a gray area, something that maybe is not directly mentioned in Scripture, there will be guiding principles, like a compass that will help you make sure you're actually going in the right direction and you're not going in the wrong direction on that moral issue. God's Word is sufficient to guide you through all the moral dilemmas of your life. God gave us a book this book is filled with his will. We don't, think that God's, we don't think that the Bible is filled with people's opinions of God's will. We don't think that it's mostly man's thoughts with a few of God's thoughts sprinkled in. The, the teaching of Scripture is this, that God's Spirit wrote through the human authors so that what we have here is the Bible says God breathed. God breathed. It's from the very lips of God. He didn't puppet the authors. He didn't take control of their pen. He let them freely write, but His Spirit carried them along, the Bible says, so that what was written down was ultimately fully, completely the words of God. That's called inerrancy and inspiration. We know that this is God's Word, and we know that we need to follow it. Listen to what Psalm 19, 7 to 11 says about this book. It says this. We'll put it on the screen. The law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart fills our heart with joy. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. It uses all these words to describe the book, the revealed word of God, perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true. Then it gives us a comparison. It says, more to be desired are they, that's God's opinions and thoughts, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is worn, and keeping them there is great reward. So if you find a rainbow and you run to one end of it, and you're like, a pot of gold! And you run to the other end of it, and you're like, a Bible! Take the Bible. Because it's a greater treasure, according to the Bible. God's thoughts, his views, his opinions on moral issues are precious and priceless. You know, our country was founded on Christian moral principles. You know that, right? You know that, right? It's true. When George Washington was sworn in, took the oath of office in 1789, our first president, after he took the oath, he he put his hand, his right hand, on a Bible. And after he took the oath, he said, So help me, God. And he kissed the Bible. He kissed the Bible. That was a man who knew he would be held accountable to the moral standards found in this book and the God of this Bible. Our country came about from Christian principles, and the founders knew that. They also knew that they couldn't perfectly keep the standard. They knew that there were discrepancies between early America and what the Bible called a nation to be, okay? Which is why Thomas Jefferson, who owned 100 slaves, even more at his death, wrote, "...indeed, I tremble for my country." When I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. He wrote that about slavery. He is just, his justice cannot sleep forever. They knew that they would be held accountable to the moral standard found in Scripture. Hey, morality comes from God. Our country is based on that principle. God alone is good. God's nature is our standard of right and wrong. And he gave us a book and he filled it with his will. If you say those things to people, you're sharing your faith. Number two, you can write this down. It's important to also know that Jesus is the only good person who ever lived. What do we believe about right and wrong, bad and good? Jesus is the only good person who ever lived. We think something set Christ apart. Every human who's ever lived has been sinful except one. And what makes Christianity unique is not that we're something special or different from the rest of humanity. It's that our founder is special and different from the rest of humanity. Jesus pointed this out in Mark ten eighteen. Somebody came up to him and said, good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 why'd you just call me good? Check it out. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Hey, you just called me good. Uh, only God is good. Are you Are you really Are you really assuming that I am what only God is? The Bible asserts yes. Only Jesus is good. What do you believe about morality, right and wrong, good and bad? Only one who's ever lived has been good, and that's Jesus. Write this down. <clears throat> Where does evil come from? What is the source of the problem? We believe evil runs through the heart of every individual person. Meaning this, the source of evil, the source of sin, comes from deep within, deep inside every person. Uh, we don't think wickedness and evil is out there somewhere. It's right in here. So the moral lines are drawn, not, at, not between country and country. Well, you know, Russia, they're a all- wicked no it's not borders it's the the border line between good and evil runs straight down the middle of your heart and sometimes you venture over into wickedness and sometimes you venture over into what's good and righteous but wickedness comes from within people disagree with us on this people would say well you know what the modern view is that man is born neutral Blank Slate, Tabula Rasa, John Locke. And you know what? What's written on every individual heart is what society puts there through education, through tradition, through relationships, through history. And if we could just get those things right, then evil would disappear. We disagree with that. We don't think man is born neutral. We don't think that evil was put there through poor education or or child rearing, okay? Now, the postmodern view is that man is born good. People are innately good and capable of goodness and equally righteous. The problem is society screws them up, all right? And if we could just get education right, if we could just get the walls between the different races to come down and reconcile people, if we could just get that gap between the rich and the poor to disappear and and bring all these things together, then then wickedness and sin would go away because people are good and they want to do what's good. And we disagree with that. We disagree. We don't think people are neutral. We don't think people are good when they're born. We think they're bad, sinful. The wickedness is right inside. And we don't think society or education or or economics can clear that problem up. All right? Because it's primarily a spiritual problem. Evil runs through the heart of every person. G.K. Chesterton, a famous author, was once asked by a newspaper, what is wrong with the world? what is wrong with the world? And he wrote them back a letter. It was very short. He said, in regards to the question you asked me, what is wrong with the world? Dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? I am yours truly. We believe that each one of us is not a spectator eating popcorn, watching the horrible world go even worse, like we're not on the outside looking in. We are part of the problem. We have each contributed to the misery and the brokenness of this world. Because evil comes from within. It comes from the heart. Jeremiah seventeen nine to 10 tells us about our heart. It says this, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to the fruit of his deeds. Morality comes from God. No one who's ever lived has been good and righteous. And the point of, uh, or or to define our view a little more clearly, we think that the immorality that is actually seen on the outside is only part of the problem. So let's say a man spends and spends and and just drives his family into so much debt because he wants the boat, he wants the big car, he wants the newest stuff, and uh, he spends his kids' college education, goes, you know, hundred thousand dollars in debt and then the bank is coming to foreclose on his home you see all of that happening and he brings tremendous pain to himself and his family but we don't think the sin is just that he did this with the money it actually started in his heart when he started thinking if i just had all these things then i'd be happy if i just take this risk then i'll get the money back that i lost he's feeling and thinking that if he follows this path it'll take him to a good place Why? Because at the core of his being, he doesn't believe God will provide him with happiness and with everything he needs to take care of his family. So the sin can be traced all the way down to the lie that he doesn't think God's boundaries against debt and overspending are good and he doesn't think God will provide for him and his family. Sin starts in the heart. What you see on the outside is just an expression of what has already been polluted within. Evil runs through the heart of every person. Therefore, we believe that people are sinful by nature. You were born sinful. Another way to put it is, if you were a laptop, first time you booted up, your hard drive was corrupt. The hardware of your being is corrupt. Now, you might say that's not fair. How come I'm born sinful? Then how can God hold me accountable for sin if I was born with hardware that was faulty? Well, you actually aren't just born sinful, you choose sin. So that would be like you get the laptop open and finally get it to work, even though it's fluky, right? And then you go online and you start downloading all sorts of adware and spyware and filth. Now you've got a software problem. And all these pop-up ads keep coming up because you loved sin. Sin is in the hardware and sin is in the software. We believe you're sinful by birth and sinful by choice. And we also think you can't solve your own sin problem. But here's what's so awesome. Jesus, you can write this down, is the only sinless Son of God. He's the only perfect, sinless being who's ever walked the earth. Jesus was born without a hardware problem because he was born of the Virgin Mary. The sins of Adam were not transferred into his soul. He was miraculously born sin-free. Jesus never sinned once his entire life here. Check it out. Hebrews 4.15 says this, We do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are. He's like us in every way, except one. He's without sin. Jesus never sinned. This is mind-blowing. The Lord Jesus Christ walked the same earth you are on, saw the same things you see, heard the same things you hear, and he never sinned once. Never with his mouth, never with his ears, never with his eyes. He lived the perfect, sinless life. Therefore, he was a living expression of God's goodness, which is why he alone can say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus alone met God's righteous standard. That's true of no one else in the entire planet. Jesus is the only sinless person ever to live. Hey, hey, if I wanted to go back to that test in college, what is good? Answer, not me, not anyone, except Jesus. What is evil? Me and everyone, but not Jesus. Christ is unique. What makes our view of morality unique? Not that we have a better viewing list on Netflix while I watch nicer things than you do. Ultimately, what makes us better is not our behavior, but the fact that our founder is sinless. That's what sets us apart. So, morality comes from God. Two, Jesus is the only good person who's ever lived. Three, write this down. God must give me righteousness through faith in Christ. He must give me righteousness through faith in Christ. If I I have a sin problem in my heart, how do I fix it? People go about this different ways. Many will agree with you that there is a problem in the human heart. They will disagree with you on how best to fix it. So when you're talking to people, how do you express our view and how do you share what makes our view unique? Here's what makes our view unique. I can do absolutely nothing to make myself good. I can't do anything. I can't do one thing to make myself good. God has to do something to make me good. We find this scripture throughout the Bible, but in Philippians 3.9, it says this, Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is the doctrine of imputed righteousness. It means, let's say that you have a, your debt, your moral debt is like $10 trillion to God. There's no way that you could break even, let alone become somebody of merit in God's sight. Jesus comes along and he is perfectly good. And he deposits his righteousness in your moral bank account when you trust him by faith. Which means when God looks at you, this is amazing. If Your faith is in Christ. When God looks at you, he doesn't just see a person as if they've never sinned before. He sees you as if you have only done everything perfect every moment of your life. That's the righteousness of Christ. He sees you as if you have lived the perfect life. Now, at that moment, you say to yourself, but I haven't. And you look to your kids and you say, you haven't. But you look to Christ and you say, he has. And because he is in you, God sees him, not you. That's your only hope of becoming good, a good person. Your only hope is Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. Nothing you do can make you righteous. Now, people try different things. Jot this down. Religion doesn't work. People try religion, but religious, religion doesn't work. I really want to cover this and just kind of share my story. But, uh, you know, I was raised in the Catholic Church um, and uh, local in Palos, you know, and um, I have so much to be thankful for for my upbringing. They gave me a basic moral framework, gave me an understanding of Christ and the church. And I'm grateful that they gave me the basic, you know, um, understanding of what's right, what's wrong, who God is. Um, but I was not a Christian, so I would go to the Catholic Church, hear what they had to say, but it, it did not get into my heart, okay? That's my fault. But what I would say is this, when I was a freshman in college and <clears throat> God started to awaken my soul to the truth, I just saw some things in my church that didn't line up with what the Bible said. That's what I would call religion. A lot of what I heard growing up in church did line up with what the Bible said, but the things that didn't were concerning to me, Okay? People who are trying religion are trying something that won't make them righteous. And I'm a person who needs to tell people like me, maybe if you have a background in the Catholic Church, I need to talk to people like me who have been taught wrong things. All right. I can't go to a man who is a fellow sinner and expect him to change anything about my nature. Nothing that man says, nothing that man does. Nothing that man gives me will change how righteous I am before God. Are you following what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, if I go to a priest and I ask him to change me, he can't. He can't. A man who is sinful like you can't do magic and make your sins go away. He can't. The only person who can take away even my smallest sin in life is the Lord Jesus Christ. And people who constantly go through religious rituals thinking that's changing anything about their soul are deceived. All right. And another thing growing up that I heard is I can talk to dead people and that somehow makes me more righteous. Doesn't matter even if they're called saints. Dead people who were sinful while they were living can't make you righteous. Do you hear me? See, somebody needed to tell me this: dead people who were sinful when they're living can't make you righteous. They can't. Religion can't make you righteous. Nothing that people do can make you righteous. The only, and this was revolutionary for me when I found out. <laughs> when I found out that if I died in the Catholic Church and they put me in the casket, and on my way out of the church after my funeral service, they would sprinkle a little extra water on me in case they missed a spot. Do you know what that told me? They're sending me off to heaven and basically saying, good luck. Because we don't know if you're getting in. Why are they still flinging water on a dead person? Because they don't know if they're going to heaven. Because religion doesn't work. This will be life-changing for you if you were raised the way I was. Right here, right now, you can go to Jesus Christ. He is. He is. He is the high priest of heaven. You ask him to wash away all of your sins and they're all gone forever. And it's finished. You don't need religion anymore. That changed my life. Jesus is the only one. Religion can't do it. Jot this down. Charity can't do it. Charity doesn't work. I'm a good person. I, you know, I put some money in those, you know, the Salvation Army, Santa's ringing the bell, and I put some money in there and I take care of the poor. I'm nice to animals and... Um, I'm I'm a pretty good person. No, you're not. You're not. Stacking good deeds on top of your bad deeds doesn't make you righteous, all right? That logic doesn't even work in human courts of law. (laughs) Why did you punch the waitress in the face? She messed up my order. Well, you're going to go to jail. No, I'm not. I gave her a sweet tip. I chased the bad with the good. That wouldn't work, Think about how human courts work. You can live your whole life being a good person, and within 10 seconds, you get mad at your boss and run him over with a car, kill him. That took 10 seconds. Now, when you're in front of a judge, can you say, Yeah, but I've done so many good things in my life? That was only a 10 second window. You're going to jail. The logic of I'll just stack good on top of my bad and that'll make the bad go away. Doesn't even work in a human court. You think you're gonna stand in God's court and be like, but I did so many good things. That doesn't work. We should know better than that. Charity doesn't work. Being a good person doesn't work. Listen, if every single person in this room died right now, right? Freak roof collapse. And there we are, standing in line, waiting to get into heaven, all right? It's like, next. All right, Dave Grutheson. Check the book. Was he a sinner? Was he a righteous man? Was he a no-good scoundrel? Or was he perfect? Ah, uh, He deserves to go to hell. All right. Next, Jason. Did he live the perfect, sinless life? Is he worthy of heaven? No. All right, off to hell. Next, all right, Mike Dills. Every single person in this room by your life would be condemned to hell forever. Me too. Ryan Hall. Perfect, sinless, worthy of heaven or scoundrel worthy of hell? Hell. Next, every one of us. Praise the Lord, but there's, the Bible says, there's another book. There's your book that tells how you've lived, and that will sentence you to hell. Then there's another book, and that's Christ's book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And just before, Dave there is going off to the fire. Wait a minute, wait a minute, check this other book. Is his name in the book of the Lamb? Yes. Come on back. Jason, is his name in the book of the Lamb? Yeah. Come on back. By your life, you will be condemned, because you're not good. It's true of everyone in your life. But because Christ was righteous, if you are in him, he has the authority to give you access into heaven. You can't even bring one sin into heaven or it's not heaven. You're not allowed. But Jesus can get you in. If you were to die, stand before the pearly gates, and they said, why should we let you into heaven? If you start with the word, I, you're not getting in. If you start with the word, Jesus died for me, Only then will you get in. I'm not worthy. Christ died for me. Here's the fourth thing. Morality comes from God. Jesus is the only good person who ever lived. God must give me righteousness through faith in Christ. And last, God must take away my sin through faith in Christ. He has to give me what is righteous, and he has to take away the penalty for my sin. Imagine all of your sins written down in a log, typed up, double-spaced, Every sinful thought, every sinful word, every good deed you left undone, it would fill a warehouse full of boxes of paper. And imagine an angel going every line by line by line with you through your record. You'll be condemned. And meticulous records are kept even right now. Even right now, your every thought is being recorded in heaven. My every word is being recorded right now. But check this out. Here's what the Bible says in Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him. That's Christ. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When I think of my judgment, I think of the day where a giant warehouse is open and these boxes are in there and they say, Hey, that that's every sin you've ever committed. But I imagine myself going in there and taking one of those boxes and opening it up. And I imagine that box being empty because Christ took away my record of debt. They're all empty. If your faith is in Christ, they're all empty. If your faith is not in Christ, judgment is coming. God must take away my sin through faith in Christ. Drop this down. I can't remove my own sin. I can't erase my own sin. I can't even erase one sin. My daughter's got cell phones recently. And so my daughter Cassie, which is my middle child, are you a middle child? Middle child, you're you're trouble if you're a middle child. My middle child Cassie couldn't find her phone. My older child Ellie was in another room on her phone. So Cassie wanted her phone. So she grabbed my wife's phone because we have that whole like find my iPhone app. You know that app? You can go on one person's phone, mama's phone and find all the other phones. So Cassie opens that app and she clicks on the phone that she thinks is hers only she accidentally clicked on Ellie's phone, okay? So it comes up. Cassie didn't realize that her pinky finger was touching the button in the right-hand corner that said erase iphone so she pulls up the wrong phone ellie's phone her fingers accidentally touching the button that says erase iphone she doesn't know it so this little screen came up that said are you sure she's like well yeah i'm sure i want to find my phone in another room we hear a scream "Ah!" as ellie is watching her phone get erased in front of her very eyes my phone! My phone! It's getting erased! Stop it! Stop it! And Cassie's in the other room like, what happened? That's not my phone. I don't know what's going on. Cassie erased her sister's whole phone. That was a bad day in the hall house. <laughs> bad day. Bad day. Now, if, if your sin record is like that phone... And it's filled with filth and obscenity and it's filled with spam and, and you can't get it, you can't erase it, you can't erase it. Jesus is over there and he's the only one who can push the button to erase everything off your heart. Jesus is the only one who can erase all of your sins. You can't, he can <clears throat> I can't remove my own sin and write this down, I can't do more good than bad. I can't stack up my good and do more good than bad. We talked about that already. It doesn't work. So what is our voice? What is our view? What do we share with others when morality comes up? First, morality comes from God. His nature is the only source of a consistent, good moral ethic. His will is found in the book. Second, Jesus is the only good person who ever lived. Because of that, only God can give me righteousness through Christ. Religion and charity will never work. Finally, God must take away my sin through faith in Christ. He took it away He nailed it to the cross. If you want your sins to go away, you have to come to Christ. You have to trust Him as Savior. This is our voice. This is our moral message. This is what sets us apart from the world. Now, in the weeks ahead, we're going to find out how we can consistently use this voice, this truth, and talk about any moral issue that comes up, any moral scenario. We can use our unique voice and share our faith with others. But let's go to the Lord in prayer based on what we heard today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess freely that we are sinful, broken, beyond repair, worthy of judgment. You are good, righteous, holy, mighty. Forgive us for breaking your law. Forgive us for grieving your spirit. Forgive us for inviting your judgment. Lord, we are sinners saved by grace if we have faith in Christ. Help us to grow confident sharing this life-changing message with others who disagree with us. Lord, we know that the problem of humanity is in the human heart. We know that only Jesus can cleanse the heart of sin. Give us opportunities to share this truth with others this week. And I, I pray right here and right now, maybe there are people in this room who know that they are filled with shame and guilt and sin. They know that they've tried religion, they've tried charity, but they still feel guilty So many people have just flat out told me they think they're going to hell. They don't think God will accept them. It's not true. Pray that right here and right now there would be people who would turn to God and say, I am sinful, I am broken, but I believe Jesus was righteous and innocent. I believe he died on the cross to take away my sins. Erase them all and give me a new heart. Help me to go to heaven because I'm in his book. Take away all of the record of my sin. Make it as if I've never sinned in my life. And Lord, as you look on, my, on me with those eyes fixed on your son, help me to become more and more like him in this life. That's our hope, Father. That's our only hope of being good. That's our only hope of telling other people how they can be good. The Lord Jesus Christ.